0: Welcome back to Resonant Reels, everybody, with your two favorite podcasting hosts. I'm Adam. And I'm Chandler. And uh, today, we are going to hit some black cinema, which I know we're excited to talk about our two movies. But before we dive uh, right into it, uh, it's been a while since Chandler and I have been able to, to hop on together. So what's been new with you, man?
1: Actually... I had some downtime the last couple of weeks, and I finally just, like, finished Atlanta. Oh, nice. Donald Glover show, Atlanta, because I was, like, I was stuck in season three, because I was trying to watch it through grad school, and then I just got busy with life and never just, like... As you do. Half forgot I was in process of watching Atlanta, and then I finally finished it, and I was just... It was so rewarding to just like be on that ride of that show because it's just it is so artistically interesting so like highly recommend it truly amazing and now I'm like on this Donald Glover kick of like now I need to go watch his new show Swarm that like centers around pop idolization with like Beyonce as this like centered focal point and then he's in this new show that just came out Mr. and Mrs. Smith and like I need to go check that out now too so I'm like On this kick now, I've got Donald Glover of like, dang it, why did I not get back to watching Atlanta when I should have? What have you been up to? I have just been existing on the road.
0: So that's been my life. I actually just got done uh, with a very brief, which was sad. I wish it had been longer, uh, three days um, in Tucson, my hometown. So it was really cool to... um, bring, you know, my like professional show that I'm working on now, like to the theater that I grew up watching like these Broadway tours come into. So it was awesome. It was, it was really cool. And then now I'm uh, in San Diego hanging out uh, and we're here for like a week. We just got here today and my brain is so foggy. I was telling Chandler, I was like, we just keep switching time zones and like air pressures and elevations. And I think my brain is lagging it's gonna, go. uh, gonna, it's
1: gonna be okay we're gonna ease into this episode because you know I get it I get it traveling that much is like insane at times it's just it is such a toll on your body
0: but it's fun you know that's why I'm doing it while I'm young so. <laughs> I was talking to somebody. I was like, yeah, you know, I decided to get back on the road while my knees still worked. And everyone always seems to just like chuckle at that because it's usually like older guys that I'm talking to who are a part of the local unions and stuff. They always think it's really funny. It's a it's a hit at Lodens. So,
1: yeah, there's not a lot of I mean, I I, I guess, excluding the rock and role world there's not a lot of like old roadies anymore i feel like and like those that are old roadies are like the front of house mixers for like metallica that have like been with the band for like 30 years or whatever you know
0: yeah everyone pretty much everyone else is you know settled down with their with their local like iatze and you know reminisce about the good old age which which is awesome uh like truly to like just get to like work and talk with them and stuff everyone always has like such cool stories who who was it I was in somewhere in uh, New Jersey I worked with a guy who was the personal guitar tech for Steely Dan which was like cool and he was talking about like his experience with that and stuff so like there's just like these really cool cats you know that I get to meet literally almost every day and I'm like I'm gonna be like you when I grow up so
1: <laughs> so yeah we are today we're doing Black Cinema I feel like we said that. I don't remember. Yeah, we did at the top of the episode. Why not give pop, pop a reminder? Yeah.
0: So, uh, we picked very different movies, which I don't mind at all having having some fluctuation um, between you know the moods of our films. Uh, but why don't you why don't you jump into it? Remind us what your what your movie is.
1: Yeah. So I picked the 1993 film Poetic Justice written, directed, and produced by John Singleton. Uh, so at this point in John Singleton's career, this is his second film. So his di- directorial debut was Boys in the Hood. So like, to me, like I've, I've seen Boys in the Hood. I've also seen his, I think his third movie, Higher Learning, but I've never seen Poetic Justice before. And I have also not seen
0: Poetic Justice. This was a first for me as well.
1: I think it's a very important historical film, But, like, to me, maybe it's the 2024 lens of things. It wasn't, like, a great movie, you know? There were were some choices in the plot or, like, some characters that just didn't make sense.
0: I would agree with you. Yeah.
1: But also, this is, like, a star-studded cast. This is, like, you have Janet Jackson, who is, like, top of her game right now in the 90s, like, selling, like... 30, 40 million, do- 40 million records of like your latest album at the time or something like that. Tupac is in this as well. And it's crazy seeing Tupac in this, like, cause literally three years later he dies, right? He gets shot in Vegas. And that's like, it's crazy to like see Tupac, like a legend and like his legendary status in this movie. And holy shit is he one hell of an actor like this. He can act. He is, like, one of, like, the only actors in this movie. And it's... He was
0: awesome. So good. I was so taken off guard. Like, I wasn't expecting... I wasn't expecting him to be a good actor. You know what I mean? And I was like, whoa, this is actually fucking awesome. Yeah.
1: But I I was too busy getting distracted with, like, Janet Jackson. Like, just, like, getting, like, distracted with Janet Jackson a lot. Because, like, she was, like... Yeah. There... A lot, and I'm just kidding <laughs> I don't it, it sounds weird to say, like I mean, like she has the iconic box braids. The fashion of the hairstyle is a big thing in this movie because it's the box braids that Janet Jackson wears in this movie and became like a big fashion and cultural statement of the time,
0: yeah. I was actually reading about like how much of a boom that was in terms of of aesthetics, like at that at that time and in, in society. maybe it's
1: just me, but I got distracted, like. Seeing Michael Jackson in Janet a lot, which was weird, yes. and I was just being thrown out a little bit. It was I, it was an odd thing for me, and I was just her as a character was a little confusing to wrap my head around with the events that happened throughout this movie. Also, Regina King, like Regina King, is also like a great actress in this movie. Like she, I loved. Yes, 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 yes. In this movie, for how chaotic of a character she was. She was a phenomenal actress. But yeah, and then also throughout this movie, there's poetry that the main character, Justice, the main character is named Justice, that Janet Jackson plays. She narrates but also recites some of her poetry, but it's poetry written by Maya Angelou. So, like, every piece of poetry is Maya Angelou, which is like really really interesting focus for this movie. And then I was also digging more into like, I think a lot of it's just kind of come up because uh, we are like a year after the 30th anniversary of this movie. And there's a lot of retrospective last year with this movie. There's a lot of discussions of like why John Singleton made this movie. I was reading a lot that there was a lot of He was receiving a bit of backlash from boys in the hood of his portrayal of female characters. Oh, interesting! in, In Black America, and so he, I guess, like the, I don't know how much it's like truth or not, but he decided to make poetic justice as a response to that. This movie makes a lot of leaps to me in. Events or outbursts of characters, and it just—it's hard to like make sense of some of it. It felt like to me. It felt like introduction
0: of new people or new things before something else got wrapped up. Like, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and it's and like I don't like comparing a director's works to his other works, but it's like it's really hard to with John Singleton in the nineties. When, like, Boys in the Hood was, is this masterpiece? Like, Boys in the Hood is a masterpiece of a movie. And then you get, like, Poetic Justice, and it's, like, hard to understand the people in this movie more so. I did, I did find that. John Singleton did make a big point, like he did with Boys in the Hood, to film on location. Like over 90% of the movie is filmed on location. He hates sound stages and stuff because fair. That's like <laughs> he's from that area. Like he's from like South LA and everything. He wanted to like truly depict those areas and bring the bring them to screen. And like I I forgot I read this, I forgot who who the um Journalist or article writer was, but they compare John Singleton to the man who brought hip hop to the screen, you know, in the in the new black wave of film of the 90s. Like John Singleton is one of the big ones that found a new way to bring it to the screen, because like Spike Lee is a different director all together. So it's Absolutely. hard to compare the two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. Because like
1: Spike Lee has importance in where he makes his movies. But like John Singleton's one who's like really related to like the people of LA in the nineties of the black community. And like you really feel that. And like it's I don't know, even just like from the beginning of the movie. It's like the movie opens up. It's got like the very like once upon a time in America vibe to it like clearly a calling card to us as as the audience like i mean i think it's specifically pointing at like the white audience members a lot too about like that kind of cliche storytelling stuff and like the movie opens up with a title card that's like once upon a time in south central la or something like that and you have rhapsody in blue the orchestration playing and you're like this is so like it, it makes sense because we realize we've got these like characters on screen that like are actually made up actors for this movie that's being watched at a drive in. And it's like clearly like a white like director making this movie that's at the drive in that like a like a black audience is watching, trying to relate to. And it was like it was so like that was so well-crafted artistically making a point there of just like, yeah, this is, we're tired of this kind of, you know, peddling bullshit from white America. I thought that was great. But then the events that follow that is just so crazy because justice is there with her boyfriend at the time, Markel, who's played by Q-tip. And they're, they're at the drive-in, like, you know, doing driving things as like teenagers and stuff like that, being boyfriend, girlfriend, She wants snacks because she's trying to enjoy the movie and everything. So then he ends up going to get her snacks. And we like briefly learned that like he just got out of jail because he's associated with gangs. Like this, this movie also clearly connects to like it's in the same universe as Boys in the Hood because it's in the same city. And I think there's like a clear like cultural awareness at the time this movie came out that like John Singleton's going to focus on this area of America. LA in the nineties was a very hostile, violent place because there was just a lot of protest, there's a lot of civil unrest, and therefore a lot of violence. Like it I mean, one of the major things known from LA in the nineties is the LA riots. Well, and also I, I
0: think it even it even directly plays on what we were talking about in the uh thirteenth, because we're we're in LA in the nineties, so we're also seeing that shift into Clinton and the the war on drugs, war on crime, law and order world. And I think we're seeing a lot of that as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like at the at the strip, and so Markel is going to get snacks from from the uh from the building at the drive-in, I don't remember concessions from the concessions building, and then there's these two guys who are playing a, a playing like street Fighter or something like an arcade game, and one of them like thinks he recognizes Markel as some guy that like talked shit or something like last week or something, and the other guy who's playing the video game is like, "No, nah, no, nah, nah, that's not him and then later, Markel returns to the car to justice and he's like, "I think I saw some guys that I got into a beef with." last week and not even like two seconds later a guy comes and shoots him point blank in the head and it's just like where did that come from and it was it was so quick it didn't make sense to me but also it might be just uh an artistic expression of like how crazy violent la was during that time how volatile everything was Where it was just like a, a small beef could just escalate to that because of just how volatile everything was at that time there. You have Janet Jackson there like dealing with that. And to me, it wasn't like the, the I think she's in the moment she was freaking out and that seemed like real and everything, but like post that, like it didn't seem like she was like traumatized from it. You know, she was just like in this like weird, like not even grieving, like, I guess they were trying to convey it was grieving from this point. because It's like we hop a year later and like throughout the rest of this movie, she's like supposed to be grieving and it didn't feel like she was grieving. She just felt jaded.
0: Yes. Yes. And it also felt like, I don't know what I understand to be like suppressed grief. Like what happens when you are suppressing grief is like kind of that. Jadedness and everything that that comes through. That's that's how it that's how it felt to me watching it at least.
1: Yeah, it was just it was a little it was a little weird. This movie pacing wise was also just a little weird because it was. I think there was a lot of like throughout the movie because I was just noticing a lot of stuff in the back a lot of like celebration of black culture. Like that was a big thing of black cinema of just like things like that being just there on screen is a big deal. And like, I'm for that and everything, but it just, it didn't lend impactfully as like other movies. John Singleton has done when he did that. It, it felt like either this movie felt a little rushed with like whatever studio agreement he had, because it just didn't have like as much love and care as like boys in the hood or higher learning had to me. I don't know, but maybe that's just like speculation for my part here. It's just it was hard to engage with it that way. Well, you're not alone uh, if
0: it's any consolation, because a lot of the a lot of the reviews from this movie are basically saying exactly uh, what you were and also like it's hard like you said and you really shouldn't compare it to other movies that a director has done however that's exactly what was happening because when you make a when you make a movie like boys in the hood like how do you like how do you not you know like it's that's such a, it's such a good movie it's such a good movie and and kind of generally the crit, the like criticism of this film was that people did not like it nearly as much as boys in the hood so
1: and this movie is supposed to be like a love story and there never felt like any falling in love to me in this whole movie. It just like happened out of nowhere. Like there, there were some character things that don't make sense with me within the plot vehicle of this movie. And it was just hard to like jump on the bus with everybody and be like, yeah, no, I, I'm for this. I understand what's going on. I'm connecting. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not like... Justice is, like, not okay. She's, like, dealing with a suppressed grief. She's just, like, her as a character writing the poems, which are all by Maya Angelou, didn't make sense for her character at times. Like, some of the poetry did not make sense with her character. I see. I can see that. Like, not to, like, trash the poetry itself, because I'm not doing that. It's just that they just, they weren't connecting like, this is Maya Angelou poetry. Justice is not where Maya Angelou is at when Maya Angelou wrote this poetry. <laughs> wrote the
0: poetry. Yes, 100%. I agree
1: 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, very interesting. But, yeah, so moving forward, yeah, we're at like a year later, and she's still grieving, I guess, over the loss of Markel. And we learned she's a hairdresser and stylist, I guess. It was... They do nails also at this hair salon sometimes. I don't know. As they as you do.
0: I don't know. G- good good business model. Multiple, what is it? Diversify your income. I don't know.
1: <laughs> and so she's there working as a hairdresser. We we meet Regina King's character, um, um Aisha. Like we kind of like immediately see like Aisha is like this character that like causes like stirs shit up kind of thing. Like she's a little chaotic. Just immediately because she's like gossiping immediately and you're like, oh, you're gotcha. You're one we got to watch out for maybe and like in case bad stuff. I mean, I think it's a plot point that clearly comes in later with her. But I think there's like more complications with that character. But like Regina King sells it so well through this. Movie. Oh, yes. I adore her. Yeah. And through this like beginning of the movie, I was just I was a little disconnected from it. So it was hard to engage. So I was just like, "We're just moving place to place," and like I'm not understanding people. I guess it was it was a little weird in that sense um, because like I don't remember much else at the hairdresser because all these like side characters weren't like a big deal to me. And
0: that's the thing. Oh no, like that. Like that's what I was saying. Is it? it it's all the side characters that are. To me, like what just starts deteriorating sounds like a strong word, but like there was so much, there was so much happening. There was just so much happening. There was a review that I read of this that first of all, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because I looked up this guy's picture and he just, I don't know, he looks like a rich white man who's never struggled for food a day in his life, so like again taking his his comments with a, a grain of salt one of the things he he said about the movie was the phrase poorly structured and i think that ultimately like that is the 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 basic summary of of how i feel about all of the side characters that just started like popping up throughout the film was i was like what i was like do i really need to know you like is this is is this necessary and like, uh, you know, what What was one of the other things? Someone said it was, oh, okay. They said, uh, so this was on Rotten Tomatoes saying that poetic justice is commendably ambitious, which I absolutely agree with, boasts a pair of appealing stars, which, yeah, Janet Jackson and Tupac, I mean, come on. But they're undermined by... John Singleton's frustrating lack of discipline, which I thought was a really interesting uh, like phrase to put there, because I think so often like we applaud directors for not having quote unquote discipline uh, and like breaking molds and structures and things like that within movies. But I think that this is an example of like because I would argue that Boys in the Hood there was a lack of discipline in a quote unquote, but like in a in a in a productive like, oh wow, this movie turned out awesome because we didn't care about X Y Z like way. Whereas with poetic justice, I needed some of that back. I you know I, yeah,
1: I <laughs> it's it's hard because it's. I mean, I I I do believe like this movie. I think this one of the few times from like this movie. Could do well as a remake if someone wanted to come in and remake this movie. I think that'd be yeah, really good. I would love that actually. I think it's got huge potential, and it's one of a few times I would say that because I don't think a lot of movies ever need to be remade. But like, this is one of the few times where it's just like, no, this would would do it. I found myself thinking about this is clear. John Singleton's trying to focus on relationships in this movie between people in in the black community and understanding the complexities of that and its relationships between like romantic partners but friends and like work relationships and everything and i just kept thinking more to to a spike lee film she hate me that centers around weird relationship stuff and that movie's weird with anthony mackie in the lead role because it's about a guy who's a i think it's like a he's an executive at a a biotech firm or something and he like gets in hot water for whatever reason i don't quite remember why at his job and so as an extra set of income he kind of like becomes this like backdoor sperm donor for a bunch of like ex-girlfriends and stuff it's a bizarre movie of like relationships with people and stuff like that really interesting though in in the commentary that's being made by Spike Lee in this in that movie. But like I found myself trying to like not necessarily compare it but trying to find connections to just try and like understand points that were being made in Poetic Justice and it was just eh. it was it was weird because you're like trying to like understand the current like state of affairs in LA at the time where it's just it is heavily violent there's a lot of gangs and like stuff and like that's like an overbearing thing of in that area at that time but then it's also like supposed to be a love story and like it never felt like a love story at all from from the scene at the hairdresser like we just we then meet Lucky who's Tupac's character who is a USPS worker delivers mail he has a buddy Chicago, and then we we eventually find out that Chicago and Aisha are dating. and so that's how we have like this like mutual friend thing between lucky and justice. we We also find out that Lucky has a child with a woman, and they're not married, and this mother of this child also has a, another child with another man. And so it's just a complicated relationship. And we see, like, the messy household that that is because the mother is a sex worker. But we also, like, kind of learn it's, again, a lot of things happen very quickly in a scene to, like, finish to make a point. But I think it's insinuated or, like, partially shown that, like, she also does, like, crack, I think. Because I think uh, Lucky finds a crack pipe and he he has a big deal of, like, not to do drugs around his child and so he ends up taking his daughter away after they get into a fight when he finds a crack pipe, which is also a commentary of the drug epidemic that has ha- that happened during the 90s. Which was facilitated
0: by the government. Incredible.
1: Man, we, we found ways to connect episodes like crazy this month. Go us. <laughs> And so that's kind of like our introduction to Lucky, more or less, and these like few scenes. So like he he's a postal worker. We also have like a brief moment where like a car pulls up and it's clearly like a gang and he knows these members of this gang. It's not clear if he's like part of the gang, but like they're going out to like get justice, their own form of justice. Not the person justice, like that they're enacting revenge for lack of a better word. There's a lot of like these like quick one offs of these people we see for like a scene and then we never see them again. And maybe that's I don't know. I'm really trying to like grant grace here
0: or like find find things that I can potentially recognize that like I don't understand or like intentionally wasn't relatable. Like maybe I don't know. Maybe he had a point to this of like it's these people we see for a second and then never again. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a commentary there or maybe I'm just digging.
1: Like maybe, I, <laughs> maybe. and then, like, I'm, a, I'm also trying to compare it to like the, the film Friday being, cause like Friday is like a similar kind of vibe, but like, that's all set like on the same street, that whole movie, you know? And it's like these characters and their weird, wacky lives on a Friday. So it's like, it's hard because like, We go on this weird road trip, and this movie becomes like a kind of like a road trip movie, but doesn't commit to the road trip aspect plot of a road trip movie, you know? Correct. Aisha, like, it's a call from Chicago, the guy Chicago, that he's got to do a delivery drop to Oakland because I guess. The mail service, like, once every now and then has to do a big load to Oakland. And I'm like, how does Oakland get its mail? I don't understand the mail system in this movie. So we we learn, like, Chicago and his work co-worker. Because I don't, it's not clear if they're, like, friends or not. They, they're clearly, like, co-workers.
0: We don't understand necessarily their relationship outside of just they deliver mail together.
1: Right, Yeah. So yeah, Chicago and Lucky are the ones going up to Oakland, which is like, I I looked it up. It's like about a six hour drive from like LA-ish area to Oakland. Is it really? Why
0: did I think they were so much closer together? I don't know why I thought, I don't know why, maybe is it, because is Oakland by Sacramento? Not that these semantics matter at all, but.
1: I mean, I had to like figure that out for myself. I mean, I am an American and I was just like, is Oakland really that, that far? Uh, It's closer to San Francisco. It's, like, right next to San Francisco. Yeah, but it's, like, a six-hour drive. So, you're, like, that's a good part of a day trip. So, like, that, that makes sense, I guess. And so, Aisha invites Justice on the road trip with, like, I think she has the intent. I'm not sure how much of the intent, but it's, like, to try to get Justice and Lucky together. It's not, like, super clear either. It's... I don't know. Maybe I zoned out for that part, too, because I was just trying to, like, understand what was going on. I reached a point in this movie where I think I
0: tried to stop comprehending things in, like, a—in anything other than, like, this is the vibe of the movie. And when I did that, my brain stopped feeling so, like, what's happening? And I could just kind of, like, settle in and watch a—watch a movie. So for me at this point, I fully was like brain off. I'm watching a film and I just kind of started. It's it's the thing of like, don't ask questions like, oh, like, why does the car fly at the end of Greece? Don't know. And I'm not going to question it like that. Like that is low key, like where where I reached with this in a much more realistic way of just like, okay, yep. Like, this is, this is their relationship. This, I don't know why. This is what's happening. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I got to that point when we got to, like, the barbecue, I think. It just, so much of this movie took so long to, like, just get on the road. And then, like, it was trying to become a road movie, but then they weren't on the road for very long. Like, it was, I was trying to figure out, like, genre, I guess, the whole time to, like, try and, like, understand where to put my mindset to just ride with it to be like okay we're kind of going off of like this narrative because like most movies try to do that like contextual plot base but like of course verge from it or like do its own thing or like follow it to a t depending on the movie but this one just like it just felt so like a bunch of things happening and also like partially quickly finishing and then never being returned to or connecting to each other. And so I was just getting lost into like, how much of this do I need to remember for the rest of the movie? Sure. I get I stuck with. Because it was, yeah. Cause it's also like almost a two hour long movie. So like, it's a, it's a bit of a beast and like there, there's a lot of slow, slow parts to it, the soundtrack wasn't helping me in this movie, which was weird. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Go deeper into that particular thought. The 90s, right, especially of black cinema, is known for the music, right? Heavily known for the music. This movie, even watching this movie, I, I watched it, I rewatched it this morning. There's not a song that sticks out to me. Really, that like is like that's the song from that movie. Like that's that movie's song in comparison to like all the other movies I've watched of black cinema of the 90s. And when I tell you that I was hype that this was
0: a Janet Jackson and Tupac led film, and
1: I feel the exact same way. And that's a bummer. I mean, you do have like at the credits Janet Jackson's again song, but like that's not like it didn't feel like that's the anthem for the movie either you know and maybe that was intentional
0: maybe it was the poetry was supposed to be the anthem for the movie but again it seemed like they made this uh, okay it seemed like they made this movie and then were like like the idea about the poetry was always there but they were like oh what poetry do we use and then they threw in like Maya Angelou's poems and like kind of tried to just like make it work and and so like we were talking about like it just seemed like justice was not in the right character arc for those things but but maybe that is why the soundtrack wasn't particularly like I don't know, like this is the this is the soundtrack of the film because maybe it was supposed to be the the poetry, you know?
1: Yeah, and I, and I could see that, but it's like it's also so hard in that sense because like, like the only poem that almost worked was like the last poem Phenomenal Woman near the end of the movie. Like that was the only one that was like I can kind of see it but like Justice isn't that phenomenal woman completely yet right like she's like becoming that phenomenal woman and here's my thing i didn't
0: necessarily need i don't i don't need the ending of a movie you know to be a a neat little bow and i know you don't either like i didn't necessarily need justice to be that phenomenal woman by the end of the by the end of the film however i feel like the arc just wasn't enough in general for me to even be like, this makes like, oh, okay. Like, here's my resolution. Here is my, here's my button. You know, like if this was a, if this was a musical number, right? Like, oh, the button to the song. Like it just, it just was
1: like, oh, okay. I see where you're going. It was like a fade. It was like, we slowly faded and we're like, oh, did that need to be a fade? Like,
0: Exa- yes, correct. It just kind of, petered it trailed and i was like
1: okay all right no noted like that is that's that's what it was and, and i want to be clear like like i think this movie is important like i do do think oh it. absolutely absolutely i and i and i'm sure that even if we
0: had watched this in you know 1993 that like things in the movie might have made not even made more sense because it it, it It makes sense, but maybe just would have, I think there are a lot of nuances to this film that not even like necessarily, you know, the phrase like, oh, that didn't age well. It's not that anything in the movie didn't age well. It's just that there were nuances that just didn't age, period. Like there were a lot of things that were just probably very specific, like vibes. I know I keep using that word for this, but like just a very specific energy Of, you know, the early 90s, late 80s that that was done in a way. And to bring back that word like discipline and the lack of discipline in this particular film, that just doesn't resonate. But again, the original criticism is not far off from the things that that you've been expressing either.
1: To go off of that, I think there are some movie, some parts in this movie that did not age well because there's like full on domestic violence happening. Oh, sure. Yes, yes. And, and the mentality because it's like, it's also like, like I was listening to another podcast and I know because I've, I've consumed a lot of like this culture and this history uh, because it's something I focused on in college when I thought I was going to be a history major and then switched to being in theater and everything. There are some like black men who push this very alpha male propaganda, for lack of a better word, but like mentality and ideology of just like a black woman should just be thankful for her place in a black man's life and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And that and parts of this movie felt like that like catering to that audience. Not necessarily, maybe not catering, but like- I can see that. I think in retrospect, it now kind of caters to that audience with like not intending to, you know? Because like we're, we're hopping ahead quite a lot now. So like throughout the movie, Aisha, we, we've seen her become very volatile and chaotic. Like th- there's a barbecue they stopped at and Aisha started just getting trashed, drinking a lot and like started flirting with other- trying to flirt with another guy and that pissed off Chicago. They quickly left the barbecue and Justice like had a whole conversation with Aisha of like, I hate it when you're like this. This is why I don't hang out with you. Because like you drink and you become this different horrible person. And and we learn that it's this baggage that Justice has from her mom when her mom drank a lot. But, like, we also don't find out until much, much later in the movie that Justice's mom killed herself, which is a whole thing. And I'm just like, put a pin in that. But, like, I'm like, you're not a, like, this Justice doesn't feel like a character that's dealing with a lot of trauma. She just is very jaded. And it just feels weird when the more we learn about that character. But, anyways, fast forward, Aisha and Chicago get into this bigger argument because they're fooling around in the back of the mail truck and Chicago underperformed in a sexual act and it became this whole it blew up toxically and they got into a fight and Aisha just kept going at it like she was she was looking to get into an argument like she wanted the situation to explode to have a yelling fight right she wanted to get into this yelling match but chicago which was brilliantly done how chicago has a fade and he was brushing his fades he was doing this brushing his fade through the whole movie and he stops puts it in puts the brush in his back pocket and it's this beautifully done character moment and he starts to like back away, but Aisha just keeps going. And like Regina King is doing such a phenomenal job of just like.
0: Regina King's being Regina King, dude. She kills it every time.
1: Yeah. Just, like diving into this moment. And then like she ends it with like how she's sleeping with some other guy. And Chicago just comes in and slaps her like twice. And we cut back to Justice and Lucky in the mail truck watching this. And Justice is like, aren't you going to stop him? And, and look, just like, nah, that's their problem. I don't, I'm not going to get involved in their business. And it was just like this, like, what the hell? But then he like gets involved later when justice gets involved to help Aisha out of it. And like justice gets like weirdly tackled to the ground and then that's when lucky jumps out and like stops it from happening and you're like i i'm so confused just a little bit the aisha chicago relationship falling apart that was expected i feel like that was expected as we got further and further in this movie like we saw that that was going to happen correct correct but then like how how it exploded and then how Lucky and Justice got involved and stuff just felt weird. And then it was like quickly like taken care of because then Chicago was just left behind. Because Lucky literally
0: knocked him out and then they just leave him fully. Uh, This was a scene that I felt had the ability to make a statement that it wound up lacking the like character relationships to do because our like the relationship between Lucky and Justice like I don't even know like it just wasn't developed in a way where it particularly make made any sense for him to be like oh she got knocked down guess I need now I'm gonna jump in and like be the protector blah 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 but if it had I thought that there was a really great point there that could have been made, which is men fucking suck. And so many times are there instances where like, it's not like before it even gets physical, like when you see a drunk college guy screaming at his girlfriend on the sidewalk and you have a bunch of other guys who are just walking by being like, that's their problem. Like, I'm not going to get involved. No, fucking get involved. A man should never speak to a woman woman like that, ever, ever. And so, like, I was was like, it had the potential. The scene had the potential to make that point of being like, well, you know, Lucky is not going to get involved and, like, showing that. But then the minute that someone he has a relationship to gets involved, then it's like a whole... A whole rigmarole um and and like it shouldn't take it being somebody that you know or somebody that you have an attachment to 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 get involved in that situation and like we kind of saw it but because like i said because lucky and justice's relationship weren't wasn't particularly like in a place where that commentary would have made sense it it didn't this this falling
1: in love I don't think these characters ever fell fell in love to me. Like, no, when did they fall in love? Correct. When? Like, I can't point when it happened because so much of, like, the beginning of Justice and Lucky getting to know each other is literally them just, like, going at it with each other. Like, Lucky is being, like, a misogynist. He's being, like, mean. But then, like, Justice is also being, like, super mean back. And it's just, like, these people, like, hate each other. How are they going to fall in love? And I don't think they ever did in this movie and it was just so weird because it was just like they i guess they learned a bit more about each other but like even like at the end after getting to oakland because uh lucky has a i think it was cousin who he was like making music with because his cousin was making music and he was hoping to like be more involved with that and make music with him and that's like the reason he was going up to oakland with this trip as an excuse When they get there, we just see like a bunch of commotion and everything. We find out that Lucky's cousin got shot and killed. We don't know why or who or what or anything. It was just violence happened, kind of thing. And we just had to move on from it. Which does follow a tone that is set in the movie, which is just
0: these very like abrupt murders. And then we move on from them. Like that is something that makes sense to me in this movie that. That is a clear theme.
1: And I I guess it's like pushing like what society was like at the time out there on the West Coast with all the civil unrest and everything going on. Like I can I can see that. But like after that, like when Lucky drops off, drops off Aisha and Justice, he like blames Justice for like him being late and he could have. Been there, so that didn't happen, and everything, and then like that's how we leave it, and then we're like, what? And then we have like this, this montage, and then we like fast forward like a week or two later or something, and then it's just like he brings his daughter into the the hair salon, and then they like fall in love there, have a connection there, and it's just it's so confusing. It's and like the the few intimate moments they shared on this road trip weren't like. Super intimate, they were like trauma dumping, you know, they were just like, "Yeah, I've got baggage. Here's my baggage, and there's a lot of justice has baggage, and it's just
0: like I think there's a weird fascination, and it's slowly been going away. but like even if you look at all of the any r- truly, truly, any romantic drama, any romantic comedy, whatever, like any any movie that has like a romance storyline, especially in the early 90s, there's this weird fascination with the concept of struggle love. And it's the like, push, pull, like, we're gonna be at each other's throats. But like, that's what love is like, that's like love is a love is a battlefield, right? Like, there's a whole song about it. And I think that first of all, that concept is such bullshit. It's such bullshit. And I'm not I'm not yucking anybody's yum uh, in any form of relationship. But I do fully believe that if you and your partner are at each other's throats, that there's a communication problem within your relationship because love is not constantly being at each other's throats and then having like really good days sprinkled in between that. But like, that's what gets pumped into us through like movies and everything and like that's what I was getting from this was like again fully agree with you I'm like when did they fall in love I I don't know but like what I did get from it was absolutely that concept of like oh we bicker oh we argue oh that means we oh that's like he likes you he's mean to you because he likes you oh she's mean to you because she's flirting with you like no absolutely not but that is that to me was like Maybe the maybe the vibe of the falling in love. I need to stop using that word this episode. But like, you
1: know, that, that was going on. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's I just saw just a bunch of like toxic people being toxic. You know? Yes, it's just hard I to agree
0: like... with you. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to give some sort of thread, some sort of something. Cause I love John Singleton but this movie for me was not this movie was not it
1: yeah and, and I think that's okay because I think a lot of people I think it's okay yeah have been saying that too in retrospect it's nothing well, new being yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and they're like I loved this movie when I was in high school and stuff like that but then like I rewatched it and I was like what and like yeah I mean there, there's great acting like Regina King and Tupac fantastic actors and like you just see like what we missed by losing tupac of like how great he could have been as an actor like he could have gone so far i feel like and been like legendary with acting because he was brilliant he was like pulling like fucking like shakespeare out of no no it it was gone with the wind he was pulling a gone with the wind quote out of nowhere and it was like it worked for some reason it worked, but like arguably it didn't make sense for that character of lucky. Like why would lucky know what gone with the wind was, but like for Tupac made sense. Like, cause Tupac is that.
0: Would you like to hear um, a couple of fun facts about this. Oh, yeah. One thing that people may or may not have picked up on just from listening to us talk is Chandler and I are both chronically online but in vastly different ways. Something that uh, I found incredibly interesting was that I was reading. um, First of all, I'm going to ask you, Chandler, how involved in the Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith drama are you? Like, how much do you know outside of just like the slap
1: there is like a podcast I follow that sometimes like checks in on it and stuff like that but not a whole lot I know that like their their relationship got like super rocky at one point again but I, I don't know much anything like recently
0: do you know do you know about her like relationship with
1: Tupac yes yes I did hear okay. about that yeah okay so yeah so basically
0: like the the very brief sum of it and I promise I know more than this, but we won't be getting into it. Is that like, oh, she absolutely, like Tupac was her soulmate, if you believe in soulmates, like, uh th- like, like fully, fully in love. Like, and there's just been a lot of like Will Smith will never be Tupac. Anyway. So what I found incredibly interesting was that. Uh Jada Pinkett was one of uh three actresses like named named, like had a name to her actresses who auditioned for the role of Justice. Uh so there was a potential world where there could have been a Jada Pinkett Tupac Justice Lucky, which I feel like would have been a really chemistry-filled movie, um, and maybe solved a lot of the things that the writing did not like lend itself to um however john singleton from the draft of the script knew that he was going to get janet jackson so it was kind of it kind of seemed like the audition process was a you know a a politics like oh we have to hold an audition process sort of like we have to see other people kind of thing.
1: Because I also read like John Singleton wrote the script and he only imagined Janet Jackson in this role. And I think I think what I read was like they they did auditions because they didn't hear back from Janet Jackson's people about being in the movie. And then they did. And then they just casted her immediately. And then Ice Cube was actually offered the role of
0: Lucky and he declined, which I'm fascinated by what that would have looked like. I don't know. I don't know what that would have been, but it would have been a different movie. I feel like I feel like it would have been a different movie. And then because we did talk about like the music a little bit and just not feeling like there was a song of the of the film, you know. Something that I did think was interesting was that the album's soundtrack Uh, It said it peaked, so it hit number 23 on the Billboard 200 in the U.S. And out of that uh, album, there were three singles that charted. Um, And uh, the one that I will shout out because he just performed in the Super Bowl uh, is Usher. And it was uh, the song he wrote, Call Me a Mac. So that was like recorded for this album, Um, but all of these songs did, like their success did not come from the movie. Their success just came from the fact that they were good songs that happened to like be for this soundtrack.
1: That is so interesting, right? Because it's just like, that's like a creative decision gone bad of like, we're going to put this music, like this song is going to go right here in the scene, but like, it does not work. Like it doesn't, it doesn't detract because you would notice more if it detracted from the scene, but like it didn't add, you know, it didn't like make it a better scene. It was just like background music that like you could forget, you know, it was so weird in that sense for this movie. And like, not, not a lot of movies do that unless it's like, orchestration and that's the point you know like yeah I think I think that's enough to touch on this movie I mean overall I I think it was a a culturally important movie I can definitely see that I don't think it's a bad movie I just
0: didn't like it I, I think there's a difference it it wasn't great
1: it was like it was like okay that's that's interesting and like I mean at the very least, watch it for Regina King and Tupac. Like, yes, absolutely. That is like the big pull that I have from this movie. Is like they were phenomenal, and like can't see Tupac in anything else, really, other than oh, this. Oh, that was the other thing. I don't like that these exist, but
0: there's the Raz the Razzies, the Golden Raspberry Awards, and Janet Jackson won Worst New Star for this movie, but for the MTV Awards, won. Most Desirable Female, which is a wild fucking award to have. And it ended in 1996 along with the Most Desirable Male Award and
1: also won Best Female Performance. Interesting. So there's a like whole 180 of awards there. Very interesting.
0: Um, which I did not know until I saw that that there was even a Most Desirable Female and Most Desirable
1: Male Award, which is crazy. That's weird and toxic. I think that's a good generalization of this movie. It was like toxicity. Yes, I agree. Moving on to a movie that I would say is less toxic, does have a little bit of weird moments in it. A little, a little. little, little, Yeah. But lots of fun. Lots of fun. Let's talk about your movie,
0: Adam. All right. So let's talk about my movie. So I picked Roll Bounce. From 2005, uh, directed by Malcolm D. Lee and written by Norman Vance Jr. This was a,
1: I believe it was a rewatch for both of us, wasn't it? For sure. For sure. Man, you unlocked so many memories from 15 years ago for me. It was insane and vivid. It was crazy. Okay, I'm glad because uh, for
0: me, low-key, I did not see this movie until... Maybe a year ago. Whoa! It, it might have been less than a year ago, if I'm being so honest. Yeah, which is which is crazy. I very much just like I don't know. I grew up very suburban, like white Oro Valley, Arizona, like with a dad who was the age of a grandfather, and a, and a mom who grew up on a farm with Amish neighbors like this like this was not a movie that this was not a movie that ever made its way into my world and so i was really upset that i did not see it sooner because i fucking loved this movie
1: which is weird because like because my my background like i i do come from a very white suburban i call vanilla valley part of colorado (laughs) but I growing up was very anti establishment. Like, I went out of my way to seek like this kind of material and stuff because I was. Oh, interesting. I was so. I, I, but like, I didn't know this until like in my college years, where it was like I was a punk as a kid and didn't like fully realize it because like I was a big fan of rock and metal growing up, kind of thing. And my, okay. And like my dad was the gateway to that. But then, like, I fell in love with bands like Rage Against the Machine. Nice. And I got told off a lot that, like, you shouldn't be listening to that at your age. And I'm like, what's wrong with it? And they can it's, fuck off. Yeah. And, it, yeah. It's, and it's, like, stuff like that. And it was, like, I think I didn't, like, fully realize it as a kid. Because you're a kid and you don't pick up, like, systemic racism as a kid, really, like, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But I think I was, like, unknowingly fighting against it because like i saw movies and culture of other people's culture and stuff like that because i found it fascinating and interesting and i i felt a more connection to it and that just might be like my young artistic side like trying to like find its place in the world which is very interesting because like i know bow wow from like mike And like, that's why I went out of my way to see Roll Bounce as a kid because I saw like Mike and I was like, Bow Wow's in another movie called Roll Bounce. and It's got a bunch of cool music and stuff. I need to go watch that movie now. And it was like, that's that's who I was as a kid. And it was just so weird and bizarre.
0: I was so not anti-establishment. I was three years old sitting on a plane and a woman got up to use the bathroom and my mom told me this recently. I looked at her and I said, lady, the light is on like the seatbelt light is on. You need to be sitting down. Why are you out of your seat? Like that is that is I I oh, my God, I followed all the rules until I didn't. And then when I didn't, I was very sneaky about it. Uh, But I yeah, so there's no way in 2007 that little little me or 2005 that that little me even had an inkling of what this movie even kind of was. Uh, hilarious. Um, Bow Wow and I have beef. Oh, uh, no. For- <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, not actually. Um, I did watch this, uh, and one of the first things out of my girlfriend's mouth was that she had a crush on Bow Wow in this movie when she was a kid, uh, which then I watched it and I was like, you know what? I get it. That's okay. I think, I don't, I, w- I, w- I want to know if there's like a word or like a, if there is a, a a genre for this outside of like the long winded sentence I'm going to say, but I have a wonderful place in my heart for movies that are like about a hobby. Like, so <laughs> so for example, amongst a plethora of other reasons, she's the man. One of my favorite movies watched that. And I said, I could fucking play soccer, uh, stick it amongst a plethora of other reasons. Watch that. And I was like, I want to fucking do gymnastics. Like I like that is that's how my brain works. And so when I watched this, I was like, "Oh good, that mentality has never gone away." Uh, oh, remember the Titans? I was like, "Put me on a football field. Put me in coach. Uh, I will play." <laughs> um <laughs> and like are those the main themes of really any of those movies? Absolutely not, but it is what I take away from them. And so I want <laughs> I broke Chandler. Um. So I I watched Roll Bounce for the first time, and I was like, I'm gonna learn how to roller skate. Like I like I could do that. And mind you, um, um I am not coordinated at all in any capacity. First of all, I do theater, and my parents raised me my entire childhood saying that they should have named me Grace so that maybe I wouldn't be such a fucking klutz. So <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> There's an iconic picture of me that's like on my Facebook somewhere. I've got my cute little Amish bowl cut going on and it is my first time on a skateboard and my mom was terrified. And so she, she literally did everything except wrap me in bubble wrap. And I'm like, all the, I was like, oh, all the cool guys are out there like roller skating or, or sorry, skateboarding, right? Like just like doing their thing. No, I'm out there in my big ass helmet, my elbow pads, my knee pads. I'm in some sort of like protective vest that I tried to cover up with a denim Harley Davidson jacket to try to be cool. Like, like, and the first time that I tried to learn how to skateboard in college, not under the supervision of my parents, mind you, it was actually longboarding because I was trying to impress a girl. I broke a bone in my wrist. I'm not even fucking shitting you. This is all relevant to how I feel about this movie. Um, it is the smallest bone in your wrist and it was excruciating and I got x-rays. You want to know what this fucking bone's called? Imagine having to, like, go to the girl that you like because you were trying to learn how to longboard because she longboards and go, I can't actually longboard with you today. I broke my snuff box.
1: What? (laughs) That's I'm speechless. You've. You've broken me multiple times in an episode. That's that's a new record. That's I
0: I actually genuinely I thought he was fucking with me. I really did. I absolutely really did. And then I looked it up. It's it says it's anatomical snuffbox and it's it's a an it, it says a dorsal aspect of the hand at the level of the carpal bones. And it gets the name fun fact uh because it is where people would put like the powdered tobacco that they would sniff, so like snuff. Um, but obviously, that sounds crazy and has some slightly different connotations into a millennial generation. So, everything so maybe, maybe these movies for me are me like living vicariously through the characters, uh, because I fully recognize as like a conscious human being. I absolutely should not be anywhere on a football field or on roller skates or anything with wheels really is it probably just a horrible idea for me.
1: That being said, let's jump into the actual movie. Th- this movie to me is like I wish I grew up in the 70s when I watched it as yes. a kid. Like that's that's where it was for me. Cause I'm like, I think as a kid I wanted to escape and like to me it was like movies are a time traveling portal. Because, like, I feel like I grew up in the 70s now as a kid, as a kid nowadays. No, Absolutely. Definitely yes. Did not grow- <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: I feel that. Um, Chandler, would you like to know about the last time that I went roller skating? Because it was really humbling. Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually it was actually when I was on tour previously in 2019. And we were in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And I'm pretty sure it was one of the last like ro- or is I don't know if it's still there. And with COVID and everything, uh, like roller skating, like rinks, like actual road roller skating rinks, just like around. Right. Um, and so it was a big like day off for the whole company. So uh, we that show, we had five kids traveling with us because of the show. They were five actors. So they went to the roller skating rink and they really liked uh, like the electrics team and the sound team. So like we, you know, we showed up, we, we hung out with them. Um, It was me trying to just, uh, like use the edge of the wall to just like make one consistent lap all the way around, probably for about 30 minutes. And then I was like, Oh, I've, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I got away from the wall. I did a lap, right? This is the worst thing I could have ever done to myself. It haunts my dreams. Uh, I don't know if there's a video somewhere, but of course the night that we went on, they happened to be doing, uh, races right? Because why not? Why would they not be doing races? And so the age groups were literally like four to eight and then 10 and up. So it was like, so it was like small children and then everybody else. And so we had our five kids with us. We lined up and I was like, I know, I know I'm not going to come in first. I know that this is not necessarily going to go well. I recognize that. I was like, I would be so relieved if I did a lap, right? A lap. The guy starts the race. I've got literal nine-year-olds on the other side of me who are like, Yeah, come on, Adam, like we're gonna, we're gonna do it. I was like, Yeah, dude, like let's kick, like, let's kick butt. I push off and immediately fucking face. Planted. <laughs> Meanwhile, the nine year olds are somehow already down the long side of the rink and I'm trying to figure out how to get back up on my feet because I'm nowhere near a wall. So I'm doing this like awkward crab walk thing, trying to get onto the front of the skates where the little rubber stopper is so that I can stand myself back up. So that is um, everything that I remembered was traumatized about whatever, um, while watching Roll Bounce. Meanwhile, still being like, I could fucking learn how to skate. I could do it. Uh, and I know I can't, I know I can't. There is real life proof already. So Roll Bounce, let's get into it. It it, it takes place in the 1970s in Chicago. Um, and this is such a, a classic, like, what did kids do back in the day? Sort of film, um, which I also really, really like. There is our so our our main characters, um, we've got our our main guy is uh Xavier. He goes by X. So his name's X, and that's who Bow Wow plays. Um and you've also got some like some like other people like I don't that like uh in this that maybe we're not necessarily famous at the time but now you'd be like oh whoa like that's crazy um like for example Wayne Brady is fully in this movie not saying Wayne Brady was not famous before this uh but but Wayne Brady is in this he's DJ Johnny uh which is awesome there's also Cleo Thomas uh which uh, people might remember as uh Zero from Holes. And he plays uh <laughs> his nickname is Mixed Mike, uh, cause he uh he's he's half black, um, so they call him Mixed Mike. Um, which like is one of those things where you would think, like, oh, like, did this not age well? But I don't think it aged poorly, like, if I'm being honest. Like, I feel like I fully know friend groups who still kind of like Raz their friends in this way. Um, so it was still, you know, not, not me, to be clear. I would like it that I'm just, I'm just making that expressively clear. Um, but yeah, um, so he's in this. Um, you've got Nick Cannon is in this movie. Man, who else? Uh, Brandon T. To... Jackson. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. As Junior. Rick Gonzalez that I know from the Arrowverse and everything as Naps. Oh, OK. And uh, Wesley Jonathan as well. Um, so it is just
1: like it, there's just a lot of of dope, dope people. Megan Good. Like we can't forget Megan Goods in this also re-unlocked uh, a memory that I did have a childhood crush on Journey Smollett when I watched this movie as a kid. You know, that's valid. That's
0: valid. I I can see that because I recognized her from Full House uh, and I felt that way in Full House when I watched her in Full House when I was a kid. I totally get that. So this movie is literally about kids finding outlets for things. And they're like, I don't know, trauma and like grief, but like also as a way to like bond and have fun. So the the main thing is um this group of friends, so we've got X, there's X, Junior, Boo, Naps, and Mixed Mike. Um, and they've got this new neighbor, Tori, who is played by Journey Smollett. They typically go to this, to the roller rink that's like near them, um, called the Palisade Garden, but it closes down. And so their summer now is spent going to the uptown rink. So we've also got like a lot of classism. That it that is just like throughout this movie that was done very subtly. It was never like fully in your face, but it was done very well. It was
1: also very Chicago, which is really cool that like it was like it it was well done of how interwoven the culture of Chicago was in the movie, but it wasn't like a big deal. It was like this is the culture of the north and south side of Chicago.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. And so they uh, they are like okay well surely we're not going to stop skating so they go to the uptown rink uh, which is called Sweetwater. Uh Sweetwater immediately they walk in and all of these kids reactions is like damn like this place is this place is nice and like they even kind of seem to have like second thoughts about like should we be here should we actually try to skate here and they, they eventually decide to just like, you know, go through with it. But then we meet Sweetness, um, who is uh, played by Wesley Jonathan. And Sweetness is the star skater of uh, this place because it's Sweetness and the Sweetwater Rollers are his crew. Um, and they are the roller disco contest champions for five years in a row at the Sweetwater Rink. And upon these boys showing up, they're like immediately disrespected by this by this crew. Essentially, like, again, it's that thing of like, oh, you shouldn't be here, blah, 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 blah. And so they decide, you know what, like, we're good. So why don't we just sign up for the contest? So they do. So they sign up for the contest. Um, and that is kind of what the, like, the buildup of this movie is leading to, is like to the contest that's eventually going to happen. So then we have a bunch of stuff that happens in between, which includes X running into a crush of his, uh, Naomi, played by Megan Good. And, oh, I just live, I live for this type of shit, man. I'm like, when it's like just awkward, like clearly being flirted with and you're like, yeah. Okay. Uh. So
1: cool. Yeah. For sure. see you later. The love subplot line of that in this movie was so good because it was so relatable. Of like, yeah, it's awkward. You know, teenage love weirdness stuff, interaction, being socially awkward, not knowing what to do, and then you have like Tori being like the best wing girl. Ever in this like new group of friends that she's with for Xavier later in the movie, and she's like, because there's like a couples uh, skate at some point, and she's like pushing uh, Xavier to go to go skate with Megan Good's character, and it was like st- like stellar, stellar wing girl action right there, <laughs> and then it flops for different reasons, both of social awkwardness and for. I, I I don't know the right word for it. It's like shamefulness because we, we learned X has been dealing with a lot of depression, I guess, a lot of grief and depression without like fully acknowledging it because we learned he he lost his mom recently and it's been like a big thing to the family. And so it's, it's – so one of the first things that we actually really
0: see is – like ex's home life relationship with his dad who is his dad is uh curtis as well as his ex's sister uh sonia you can tell that his dad is trying but is also very 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 deep into grief and does not have any sort of footing on how to continue being a single dad of two and also like process his own emotions and deal with work. Because one of the things that we find is that Curtis has like lost his job, but has been pretending to go to work every day. And in reality he is like applying for things and he was an aerospace engineer and ultimately winds up taking a job as a janitor um, in order to have any sort of income. X and Sonia like do not know about that at all. You see this argument between X and Curtis and everything and it's heartbreaking because it's one of those things where it's like well the audience has more information than like the characters and so you're like X stop yelling at your dad he's trying, but it's like he doesn't he doesn't get it he doesn't know so like I said um, we meant I mentioned uh, that X has a new neighbor who's Tori and Curtis actually. Uh, meets Tori's mom, Vivian. X had met Tori and, like, invited her to, like, the roller rink. Vivian was, like, very hesitant at first to, like, let Curtis take Tori and X, like, to the roller rink without, like, her explicit permission. Um, but then, like, we kind of see that, like, oh, she's got a little bit of, like, a soft spot. like Like, he very quickly, like, Curtis very quickly is, like, Whoa, where is this energy coming from? Like hi, nice to meet you uh and like <laughs> which I thought was kind of cute. uh, I was here for it when they like i think I think it was when they were on their way back from the roller rink or something like that they like they took a bus um and X saw um his dad's car up for sale. And that is, and that like didn't make any sense to him. And we kind of get this big confrontation between X and, uh, Curtis. And that's when like, he's like, I know you don't have a job. So like, where have you been going every day? And like all this stuff, uh, this was heartbreaking. So, cause like also, so something like, which I, I'm, I'm, I will freely talk about, uh, in three days, it will be the three year anniversary of my dad's death and, that is something that is like still very much a struggle like it is it is you know losing a parent especially as a a a, you know in in my 20s early 20s was hard let alone i can't imagine he's 16 when we see him right now so he probably lost his mom at like 15 i'm guessing just we don't really you know know a whole lot but somewhere in timeline wise and the emotion that still exists when I tell you Bow Wow was giving the performance of his life in this scene where he is like expressing his grief as a 16 year old who does not know how to handle like the emotion that is grief, because one of the things that Curtis is hyper fixating on is his his Late wife's car and trying to get the car to work, and it's one of those very like classic tropes of like they can't get the car to work, and so he's just constantly trying to get the car to to run to function because maybe if he can do that, it'll be like you know a part of his wife is back. Like it's it's that kind of story arc in this big confrontation. X just like starts smashing the windows in and like just whacking the car and like just fully like unloading and oh, I'm getting emotional talking about it. It like finally ends with him and Curtis just like crying, which I also think is a really, really profound moment because first of all, we do not typically see like men get express emotion in that way let alone black men getting to express emotion in that way and and experience sadness and cry in in media often um and so i just felt like that whole scene was so beautiful and like as somebody who could at least relate to to that situation in a way i thought it was so well done and like it really affected me because it was like the things he said i was like shit i was like yeah i was like i i I feel the things you're voicing because I, I also felt those like in my height of everything in this, unfortunately, X also kind of burns his bridges with Naomi, Naomi, uh, because he doesn't know he's a 16 year old boy who's awkward and he doesn't know how to like, he doesn't know how to be in a relationship or talk to girls, let alone when again, like you have something so heavy going on that, like, everybody else your age does not have to deal with uh, in the way that you're trying to figure out how to deal with it. X basically just, like, kind of goes on this this week of ignoring his dad because he's still pretty pissed off that, like, he lied about losing his job and selling the car and all this stuff. There is a package Um, That arrives and it's addressed to his dad. It's addressed to Curtis. And Curtis is like, well, why don't don't you open it? And it is a brand new pair of skates for X because we had seen these scenes before where X was practicing out in the streets, trying to like land these new tricks and everything, because again, he's getting ready for this competition and we we get a really cute fun montage of all the boys like practicing their roller disco uh moves and routines and stuff which i love i i just oh it's so cute um but we again very subtly but we're like oh like x needs new skates like it's been it's been a while and so to try to bridge that gap his dad got him these new skates and part of This as well as that, those skates came from X's mom. And so there's, again, this thing of the skates have started to break down, but like there was trouble letting them go and all of this. And Curtis has kind of the reconciliation with X of being like he was in so much pain from his wife, from his best friend dying that he just literally neglected his kids and he basically promises to like be a better dad. That is like, you know, great. Like that, that's the, again, the vulnerability that we don't typically get to see in like father, son relationships, especially black father, son relationships. Okay. Again, we just get so much skating and it's so fun. I need to talk for a second about the Sweetwater rollers because these are the most flamboyant men I've ever witnessed in my life. Uh, so sweetness has these like two in particular um, guys who are like freaking frack man. They're like they're they're like his flanks, and they're just so out there. They're wild. Um, and oh, who is the one guy? Because he's a um. Paul Wesley. Yes. Je- oh my God. Uh, if, if anybody has ever seen the vampire diaries, um, he's step Stefan, uh, and like this heartthrob who just plays this goon. Like he's like, so- I literally, every time they were on screen, I could not stop laughing because, oh my God, they're just, they were so dumb and like sweetness always has this like big entrance and it's always all the women in the place being like, Oh my God, sweetness, sweetness. Like, Oh my God. And I'm like, damn, Have like my
1: babies.
0: Yes. Literally.
1: Like, like the, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I mean, the man is built like Bruce Lee. Like he is. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Correct.
0: Correct. I mean, there's a reason that they're out here, you know, I don't know. Like he's he, that was the thing to do. It was go to the roller discos, and if you're the five time reigning champ, like damn man, okay, like shit, <laughs> chill out, why don't you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I also think is very funny because when I first saw Sweetness come out, I thought that was Nick Cannon for a second because they look honestly pretty similar in this movie. You just didn't realize Nick Cannon was much much younger. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, because Nick Cannon is. <laughs> Bernard, which is he's just he's just constantly fucking around with women behind the shoe counter. That's his whole character, and I'm like, oh, this is Nick Cannon IRL with his twenty five thousand children. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay. So Xavier's team, I don't think I mentioned this, um, they're called the Garden Boys as an homage to their roller rink that closed down the Palisade Garden. So we've got the Garden Boys versus the Sweetwater Rollers. The, of course, because as it goes in competition movies, like they are set up to go last against the uh, Sweetwater Rollers. And it's it's set up because the Sweetwater Rollers stole the song that the Garden Boys were going to use, which is La Freak. Everybody should know this song. I swear to God. And it's and so there, of course, there's like a oh my god, what are we gonna do? Like whatever. So then Naps, played by Rick Gonzalez, uh, is like I've got it. Here's our replacement. So then they are pick the new song, Hollywood Swinging, and because they're like we can do the routine like to this song, basically. So, what winds up happening is in this competition, it's unprecedented, right? We're watching them. There's, we've got this montage, right? The two, the two routines that's happening. It's so fun watching them do all this skating. And wouldn't you guess it, but the Garden Boys and the Sweetwater Rollers tie. They have never tied for first place with another team before. And sweetness. In his ego, uh, which has been fostered at this place for however many years, five years, six six years. Oh, yeah, six years. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Great. Challenges X to a one-on-one, like, skate battle for the, the title, like, for the official title. X agrees, and the rules are that there are no falls. So you can do whatever you want, but if you fall you' you're you automatically lose something that we have been watching throughout the whole film is X practicing this triple Lutz jump. It is like we've we've never actually like seen him fully successfully without wobble land this jump like through all all of the montages throughout all of the practice et cetera et cetera and so x is like out there x is holding his own x is killing it and basically uh he like has some advice that his dad gives him which is which is pretty much like always give it your all because like you don't want to you just like lay it lay it leave it all out there because if you if you don't then like you know don't play it safe basically he is like if i land this i and i i you know, I will win. But the thing is, he's already on track to win. Like when we're watching this, we can already tell that like he's kind of got this. He's kind of kicking Sweetness's ass if we're being like for real. And he does it, he goes for it and he loses the competition because he falls. And therefore, Sweetness automatically wins. But it's that moment of like it's quiet and then everybody erupts because what he has done is because he... He went for it. Sweetness was like, damn, I respect that. The whole audience was like, damn, I respect that. Um, Xavier and Naomi have a cute little like kiss moment. Also, I didn't really talk about Junior, but one of the boys. Um, Junior is played by Brandon T. Jackson. Uh, so, again, another... I don't know if we mentioned him in the list earlier. Uh, him and Tori go... Again, it's a struggle love thing. They go the whole movie just fucking bickering at each other and like constantly razzing each other and being mean. And like, it's it's all very flirty. Um, so then they share a kiss, Junior and Tori share a kiss. And what the funny part there was is like his biggest insult of her the whole movie is that she had braces. And then at the competition, she doesn't have braces anymore because she got them removed. And I was like, as somebody who had braces twice, you're not trying to kiss anybody. Your teeth fucking hurt. Uh, So I'm just saying. And also like she showed up too and she looked like a girly girl instead of like her like tomboy thing that she had going on, which again, unnecessary. You don't need to not be a tomboy to be desired by men. Like, if, that, if you want to be desired by men, whatever. It doesn't... You don't need to change your looks.
1: I took it out. She got new threads when she went to go visit her dad and went to the Bahamas and stuff, and she was just showing off her new threads. Yeah, she had, like, a... I know my sauce.
0: She, 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 she turned into like, oh, I know my sauce now. So I'm going to show up and these boys are going to know I know my sauce. Um, and then literally the movie ends and everybody just like skates together. And it's very cute and wholesome. And I fucking love it. And I watched it and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do a triple Lutz.
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, Adam, no.
0: <laughs> but it was just a super like fun cute movie but this was like you said this is a movie that was like very uh culturally geographically and and like uh time period specific um it it it, it is you know the 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 whole idea of like north south chicago or up to i should say like uptown downtown chicago in in predominantly like black neighborhoods in the late 1970s um and it slaps. It's such a good, it's a it's a feel good fun movie that still deals with with things like I mentioned, like grief and you know those dynamics. And like it's funny. Also, oh my god, I went this whole movie without talking about the trash collectors. Uh, I don't yes, know how I, I be like the possibly did workers. that.
1: They were Hold on, best. yes,
0: the sanitation workers slapped. Oh my god. They were so funny. They were so funny. It was, who was it? It was Charlie Murphy was one of them who as Victor, right? Uh, Mike, Apps. Mike Epps. Mike Epps. Okay, Apps. thank was you. The other. Oh yes, as Byron. Victor and Byron. They're just kind of sleazy, like low key. Like They're the characters that you're like, if you existed in real life, uh, we, we would be having a problem like low key because that behavior is not chill. But in this movie, that's like the entire point is that- they're, they're kind of this just like comedic relief and they are obsessed with Tori's mom. Like they just <laughs> with Victoria, they just like watch her all the time and they like they also try to flirt with her. But it's one of those things where it's like they're talking mad game to each other. And then like when she acknowledges their existence, they like run back into the, <laughs> into the garbage truck. They like
1: they like don't know what to do. Amazing. Comedic relief. Yeah, and they have, like, a weird, like, respect for Curtis because, like, he is, like, a successful black man, uh, but, like, he's hiding that he's not. And so it's, like, they have this, like, weird, like, respect, but then, like, behind his back, they, like, talk shit like, like they would as these, like, jokester duo that they are, and it's, it's just hilarious. So honorable mention to them,
0: because uh, they're not any part of the plot at all, uh, but they're just so funny in this
1: movie. I, I loved... How like the cinematography of shooting like all the skating scenes. Oh, like, it's beautiful. At the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's so beautiful. The beginning of the movie had like a skating montage where it was just like the gang just having fun with the last night at Palisade at the Palisade Garden. And and but then like you get the montage of them practicing, and then we get the competition before like the big re- End of the competition routines where it's like everyone, all the other teams doing stuff. And it's like the editing style, because they're doing like these like specific cutouts that feel so 70s of like multi-camera shots and everything. And they're all like different rectangles and square sizes and panning around and moving on the screen. And it's just creatively, they they understood the culture and the time period that they were set in to, like, also bring it visually storytelling-wise in a film format of, like, this culture of the roller rink and everything and disco of the roller rink and stuff. Because it's very disco-esque as well. Because the soundtrack slaps so hard. Oh, yes. It's so interesting how our movies are, like, so juxtaposed by each other because it was, like... Wait, your movie deals really well with grief and the relationships of people with grief, but it also has a killer soundtrack. My movie arguably not so well. <laughs> oh, just I
0: mean just great songs in this all all the way around. I mean, there's Can You Feel the Force by the real thing, Kung Fu Fighting, uh Rock the Boat Barracuda. I mean, it's just it's uh, baby
1: come back like it's i it's it's perfect it's perfect got yeah, like cool and the gang a casey and the sunshine band the bg show up randomly which is really funny moment yes uh eddie money earth wind and fire beyonce it is it just had every bill withers i keep bill withers is yeah, in the yeah, soundtrack yeah. oh it's just so good so good soundtrack
0: Malcolm D. Lee was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Directing, and Norman Vance Jr. was nominated for Outstanding Achievement in Screenwriting for the Black Movie Awards. They were also um, nominated for a number of things for the Black Real Awards, and uh, Journey Smollett was actually also nominated for Best Ensemble Award for the Black Real Award, but uh, Brandon T. Jackson won the... Black Reel Awards for Best Breakthrough Performance. Um, so uh, I thought that was really interesting as junior uh, that he won. Um, and then Norman Vance Jr. won Best Screenplay,
1: Best Original Screenplay in, in for the Black Reel Awards as well. If you haven't watched this movie, I highly recommend it because it's it's just so much fun. But if you dig the vibe of it, I I realize this rewatching it. That it shares a similar vibe with this Netflix show called The Get Down, so I highly recommend you check oh, out The yes. Get Down. I have heard about this, but I have not seen it, and I've heard it's really good. It is. It is a Boz Lerman show, and Boz Lerman's known for Moulin Rouge, Elvis recently. Yes. And the Gatsby remake.
0: Yeah. And uh, his his uh, his phenomenal. And I am not saying that ironically. I will maybe pick this movie one day to die on this hill. Romeo and Juliet.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So yeah, I do recommend to Get Down. If you love Roll Bounce, I recommend it. It's a great fun. I think it's also set in the 70s. And so that's like why it feels similar vibes. Well, hell yeah.
0: And I think that's. I think that's it. So next week we have this really fun theme we picked of Irish films. Uh so getting into March having, you know, St. Patrick's Day, um and all of that. And what I think and 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 the the goal of this was um in the same way of um doing black cinema, picking, you know, uh a, a movie that either had an an Irish um director or heavily focused on like an experience of being Um, Irish or something regarding that culture Uh, and then Chandler and I both picked our movies and I think the theme changed unintentionally uh, because I hate both of us Uh, but go ahead Chandler tell them what (laughs) tell them what your movie is and then I'll tell them what the new theme is well, sh- should we say that like I literally guessed what
1: movie you were gonna pick as oh, well?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So Chandler came in. He was like, "So I have two movies because I know which movie you're gonna pick, but just in case I'm crazy, I do have, uh, I, 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 I will, I will have it." But he was like, "I have two movies, and I know which one you're picking." And I said, "Okay." I was like, "Tell me what movie I'm picking," and then he immediately guessed it. So I only felt slightly bad about myself for being very predictable.
1: So, so my my pick. That's not Adams that I predicted because I'm just that good at knowing people in movies. Uh, I'm taking that as a star for myself. I chose the 1991 film, The Commitments, which is quite a movie. And I feel like it's music people might know it, but I don't think anyone else knows about this movie anymore. (laughs) Yeah, great. And then the one that um,
0: Chandler picked in the sense that he just... Immediately guessed what I was going to pick, uh, was I picked the movie once, uh, from 2007, directed by John Carney. Uh, and therefore, be- between these two movies, the theme has apparently changed to Irish musicals, kind of, uh, because for those who may not know, uh, in the world of theater, there are musicals and then there are things called plays with music, which like the vague definition, it's a little bit more nuanced than this. But typically, like if you had to break it down, what you would say is that a play with music, you could remove the songs and still have a cohesive storyline. Whereas in a musical, if you remove the songs, you have absolutely no fucking idea what's happening. And uh, so... Where I'm gonna call these uh, Irish movies with music, uh, because they sing in both of them. There's music things in both of them, but it's different. They're not musicals, although Once is a musical. I should say
1: Once is a musical that does exist, uh, like as a as a stage musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based off of the movie that we're gonna talk about. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that when we talk about these movies for sure. But, yeah, until then, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, give us comments. Let us know what you want to hear more about. If you got ideas for us, uh, rate us, right? Because that's a thing on some of the podcast platforms. Yeah.
0: Share us with your friends, even if it's a single episode. Uh I was randomly on the bus uh, traveling to an airport and our reed player texted me and said that uh, she was randomly listening to our uh, Beetlejuice and Scream, like Halloween scary movie episode. And I was like, awesome. And then also
1: was terrified that people are actually listening. So I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fair fair enough yeah i i get that too sometimes where it's just like i had i've also had friends being like yeah i started listening to a couple of your episodes and my like, yeah it's really interesting and i'm like cool notes you got cool. any notes yeah no for sure yeah. but yeah anyways you've been listening to resonant reels i've been chandler i've been adam and we'll see you next time cheers